Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. College professors don't often talk to each other about the gritty details of their teaching practices. A few years ago, Bonnie Stahoviak started a podcast that's become a forum for college instructors to spread their stories and their techniques. Her day job is Director of Teaching Excellence and Digital Pedagogy at Vanguard University of Southern California. But she admits she's working to up her game in the classroom herself. And her curiosity comes through in her weekly interviews. I talked with Stahoviak recently about the biggest lessons she's learned from all those podcasts and about the challenges of teaching in today's highly partisan political environment. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. We're here today with Bonnie Stahoviak, the host of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, Jeff, thank you so much for letting me join you in this conversation today. Yeah, so you have been doing this a while. I think I saw that there were something like 180 plus episodes that you've done um, for, for several years. How did you, how did you get into to, to doing a podcast like this? My husband has a leadership podcast that's called Coaching for Leaders, and his podcast is about three years older than mine. And we, we're kind of a geeky family, so we like the gadgets and we like the technology and, and that kind of thing. And he just kept saying there's really not podcasts out there at that time. This is June of 2014 mm. that are focused exclusively on the teaching aspect of higher ed. There certainly were some at the time that were focused on policy, and I enjoyed listening to those, but he kept saying that, and there were some that, you know, would touch on it, but then they'd move on to other things, or they'd have multiple audiences. They were considering students. Sometimes they talked to students, sometimes professors, but this one really at that time was just early in terms of that, that myopic focus, people that want to have conversations about getting better at our teaching. And you're uh, in that mode yourself, or have been for sure. Um, oh, yeah. One of the things I kept thinking about was that the more we learn about teaching, the more we realize we don't know anything. <laughs> so, like, sometimes I will say actually quite regularly, I'll feel pretty dumb on some episodes where I think I should know this stuff, whether it's a disciplinary thing where I just think I don't understand that discipline enough to even talk about it like a kindergartner. I have to really humble myself. But it gets a little bit easier just being in a conversation where you realize so many other people are trying to get better too. And that there is so much of possibilities that we could go and explore to become better at our teaching. So it gets, it gets a little bit easier as time goes on, just getting to converse with so many other people that are also on this quest to, to improve our teaching. You, you started off saying the teaching is, is difficult, right? And I feel like <laughs> yes. there is this, I feel like I, I've had a little bit of experience teaching myself. And I, I have to say that from, from my experience, which I, I have to imagine is somewhat, somewhat common, I kind of, you know, I'd been in a lot of classes. I, I like, I like taking classes. I, I, you know, was decent at school or whatever and thought I could figure out how to do it, you know, based on what I'd seen and great, great teachers I thought had taught me. And so I would just kind of, kind of by sitting there, I would know, but then, um, and I also thought kind of, it was the talking that would be the thing, right. That I would go up there and say something and people would be like, wow. But I very quickly, you know, figured out that that was all wrong in every way. Whereas, you know, what often what I said was not 
you know, like you ask people to say, what did I just say? And they don't really know that the experience was often what was most remembered. The, you know, the, the, the less I talk, the more people learn, I think after a while in, you know, this was a journalism class and it was more hands-on. I know there's different disciplines, but I guess, you know, do people, what is this, um, you know, kind of journey people end up going on and, and of, of like figuring out how to teach in a way and, and when there isn't as much kind of education going on for university teachers. The other day we took our kids, we actually had participated in the women's March oh. and afterward we, we, we didn't march the entire road. Let's just say that we have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. We got, we got the gist. How's that? <laughs> we went to a outdoor mall that is not really too close to where we live and they got exposed to some places they'd never seen before, including they have an indoor uh, skate park there. Hmm. And my son is just really beside himself because he keeps saying, I don't want to watch mommy. I want to do that. And, you know, they make it look so easy. They have those half pipes and then they have the, I don't know what they're called when it's the whole entire swimming pool and all that. And mm. I mean, they're all different ages of people, some of whom are wearing safety equipment, mm. some of whom are not, you know, and they make it look so easy. And I mean, just the, like you said, it just seems so effortless. Of course, my son's just, of course I can hop on that skateboard. And go. <laughs> I have young kids myself. I know that, I know the confidence level that they have. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, I think about that often when I talk to people about teaching, because I certainly don't want to be, I don't know the right expression. I don't want to just be painful to talk to. <laughs> and if someone is brand new to teaching in higher ed, we know, Jeff, that statistically speaking, they're not going to have had a background in how to teach. Right. And some people are going to make it look effortless. And they're, they're just going to be ready to jump on their skateboard and dive into. And, and many of us will be thinking, you're doing it all wrong. You know, you're doing it all wrong. But then also thinking about ourselves, I also continue to do things wrong. So you know what I mean? It's just, it's just how do you, what are the avenues to get in and start to practice and start to fail and reflect on why that didn't work and we get back on the skateboard again and try it again. But so much of our teaching models that we've had when we think about movies and literature have been about teaching through charisma, teaching through personality, and not as focused on the learner as so many of the models that we have today. And then two, I think that it can just seem easy because we've only have modeled for us one way of considering the teacher of all powerful and all knowledgeable. And my job is to pour this into you and then you pour it back to me at whatever increments I've specified. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that teaching teaching by charisma is, is a really good way to put it. Um, and in a lot of the, when you look at just your list of topics, you'll, you can kind of get the, just immediately that there are tactics and, you know, theories and strategies and, you know, kind of a lot of, of detail. Um, the playbooks are, are, <laughs> are, are detailed. It's not, it's not just going out and throwing the ball around. So, <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. And even if you're going to make a small shift in your teaching, a, a classic example of just how do you start doing something different than your traditional, let me pour knowledge into you, might be something like retrieval practice, where I incorporate into my class some way for the learners while we are together, instead of me pouring knowledge into their heads, them retrieving knowledge out of their heads. Hmm. 
we can start to do that a little bit, but the first couple of times you do it, it might seem a little bit clumsy. Mm. It might, things might not go like you predicted them to and things can get messy. And I think our own ability to become more comfortable with messiness is hand in hand with becoming a more effective teacher. Mm. Yeah. That goes against that idea that the sage on the stage, right? That authority figure who never, never makes a mess. Yeah, I was just thinking about in class, uh, the, the class that I just had yesterday, and I had had back-to-back meetings, and I try to keep, you know, my episodes as evergreen as I sh- I'm sure you try to keep your episodes, but let's just say there's been some big things in the news. <laughs> I guess we can say that really about almost any time lately, yep. but I hadn't, I hadn't checked in at all, and it was kind of a big thing to, that had happened, and, and then to want to know what had happened, but just my own comfort level to go into a classroom and be, hey, what's on your mind? I'm teach- It's a business ethics class, so what's what since we met last, which was two weeks ago, by the way, and there was a holiday in there, so we'd only met together once. Huh. What's come up that reminded you of stuff we read for the class or reminded you of what we watched for the class? What's come up? And you have no idea where that's going to go. <laughs> and I didn't know what had happened because something major had, had, had happened that day. But I mean, my goodness, we've got the phones right there. So they delighted in taking them out and getting caught up. And we all, there's just more of that comfort level with things as they emerge. Hmm. I can't plan it out. I spend a lot of time planning. I spend a lot of time building what I think to be good experiences. And then I spend a lot of time fighting with myself to let things go <laughs> and, and allow things to, to get a little messy and unpredictable. So after doing so many episodes and talking with so many, so many people that are really trying to, to improve their teaching and, and some, some superstars of, of university teaching that you've talked to, what are, what are some of the, a couple of the biggest lessons you've learned or, or, or things that surprise you? One big thing that has has just transformed my own teaching is how important agency is. And how do agency, you mean? Yeah. agency can seem like such a simple concept. Of, I think I'm sure I still oversimplified of just allowing for there to be more choice. And, and one of the ways that I have attempted to clumsily do this is what I have called choose your own adventure assessment. And I used to read these choose your own adventure books when I was a kid. Oh, I love those. Age. Yeah, I used to read those. <laughs> it's not, but I would always, I was finding my own weaknesses as a teacher still show up and how I would read those books. Cause I remember having my finger and actually for anyone that's not read them, you go and you get to page seven and it says, okay, now you get to make a choice. Do you want to go up the mountain or down by the street? Right. It's either page 30 or page 24 or whatever, yeah. just depending on what you're choosing. Yeah, and so I would try to figure out every possible ending before I would commit to any choice, you know, try to plan it all out and that kind of thing, as opposed to just enjoying the ride sort of thing. <laughs> and so that, as I learned more about just how, how do we help learners be more motivated, allow them to recognize their own agency in their learning, give them more choice, give them more agency, give them more opportunities. Don't try to have learning be so linear. I'm a, I'm a fairly organized person. I have to be, otherwise it's going to fall apart, right? But, but learning isn't as organized as I like to think it is, or at least it's not as linear as I like to think it is. So I, I think much more in terms of, Instead of assigning a paper, if it's a writing class, by all means, assign a paper. (laughs) But if the class isn't a writing class, 
is there another way that a student might be able to demonstrate their learning of whatever it is that whatever learning objective that you have that isn't a traditional research paper that has its own limitations in terms of a student wanting to really engage in unique ways. Could a student in my business ethics class, for example, write a paper, yay, my professor's gonna read it and no one else ever is, or could they design some sort of a board game or a computer game that demonstrated the same knowledge, but did it in a way that is gonna last beyond the class, they're really going to get excited about and be challenged by one student in this class. Uh, and by the way, I have not done this before. So if, if you've been listening to the episodes for a while, like this is a new adventure for me too. And I get to learn from the guests too and say, how do you help students do games? If you're not really a person who plays a lot of games, you know, how do we do this? But you should see the eyes that just lit up. We could do this. And then one of the guys said, I'm not really creative. Can somebody help me? <laughs> it's just like, you know, it, it confronted them. They're so used to, okay, we do this. There'll be a paper about this time. Y'all probably have some sleepless nights and then there'll be this. And okay. And then I can play the game. I can make this all work and not really be particularly challenged mm-hmm. or for those who really are challenged, not give them other ways to discover strengths that they might not even know they had. Hmm. Hmm. I noticed that a lot of your episodes, you often focus on equity. And I, I wonder, you know, why it, it clearly that seems like something where there's a lot of energy out there and there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, of challenge, I think, for, for higher education right now around that. What do you what do you see as as some of the, the key kind of things you've learned on that score? To, the to, biggest the biggest one for me involves context and I I laugh and I'm also incredibly angry at my old self and I'm sure some of that old stuff self is still inside me and I just don't recognize it as much as I can contrast to the the former me where I would just assume oh you're telling me you can't pay for your textbooks really well I could pay for my textbooks when I was in college what's the problem I've seen you at a Starbucks before are you using your money wisely I mean just this all this Because I had my own context going through higher education, in my case, without being in poverty, not really knowing that it's even possible. It is embarrassing to admit, but I need to because so many more of us need to admit this, that that the context that I had, I, I have no clue what it would be like to go through college in poverty. And I'm so grateful for the work. I know you've interviewed many of the people that are working on this front to educate us about the importance in some institutions of food pantries and the importance of open textbooks and rethinking the cost of higher education and how to make it more accessible. And to me, that's a very humbling experience to recognize that my sense of context is going to be very different from other contexts that the learners I get the privilege of walking alongside have. And that's just a continuous battle. I mean, I've had, if anyone, (laughs) it is not funny. Why am I laughing? (laughs) If anyone goes back and looks at some of the episodes that I've had around cultural competence, I have on recording some of my own failures Mm. around things having to do with context and ethnicity and race. And 
But yet I heard from far more listeners to those kinds of hard conversations than the ones where it's like five ways to, you know, use that tech in your classroom. I love doing those too. <laughs> I have those episodes too. But like you said, I, I think we're having, and I don't just mean we on the podcast, we collectively in higher education are having some really vital, important, and hard conversations around this. And so much of it to me is helping us to recognize how often we take our own context and assume people are living the same thing that we did. You mentioned it. You alluded earlier um, to you know the news and the the crazy happenings of of the world these days. And I'm curious. This kind of a tough one, I guess. But how how has college teaching changed since the election of Trump? Or what are the needs for it to change in the environment we're in? Which is obviously Trump is a big part of it, but it it obviously reflects you know a lot of things that that he's tapped into and 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 kind of a an environment that seems very different than than just a few years ago. As of this recording, we, we are here at the end of January, and so it's been about a year. And I'm not sure I'm done figuring this out yet. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still trying to process it because one of the values I would have told you I had before he was elected was really my, I think, a false belief, but my belief that my politics... They need to stay out of the classroom. First of all, so many people have challenged me through reading other people's work and listening to other people's work. That is not possible. My politics always were with me in the classroom, but really more of my emphasis would have been on asking questions, getting the critical thought to emerge within the students by asking better questions. Today, I feel like that's not enough for us as educators because too much, it can, it can seem too normal. I, 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 so I both want to still ask really hard questions, but I also want to be finding ways to say, this is not normal. This is not normal. This is not normal. <laughs> and so there was a, a recent thing that had happened involving curse words. And I don't typically curse in my classes. That might be surprising, but I cursed a whole lot yesterday just as an example for discussing two different types of curse words that ended in house or in in whole. Yes, and this actually, was this was the president Trump. This was Trump's description of countries that was disparaging and people are arguing about this for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's certainly I could tell that there were some very conservative voices in the classroom. Sure. Here, but but so yes, I asked questions, but I also pushed a little bit harder than I might have in terms of wanting there to be this recognition that it isn't normal to have these kinds of conversations, it isn't normal to have so many untruths coming from an elected official. I want to both keep the questions coming, but also keep the this isn't normal message coming. And I really haven't figured out how to do that. So I'm just trying to also ask those questions of other experts who are doing it so well. I think another thing I'm trying to do more of, but my goodness, <laughs> is, is just, just take the work of people who are focused on digital literacy and incorporate that into my classes in some way. Because I, I think one of the things that's just frightening for me is that all of a sudden it's a possibility for people in our society, not just students, but our society to just set, shut down and say, it's all false. I'm, I'm checking out. This is, this is way too hard to navigate. I can't figure out what's true and what's not. So I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. I, I do think there's an interesting, you know, one of these truisms about 
teaching that's been going on for, for a long time is this, you know, we got to move from the sage on the stage to the guide on the side. But the, the trick there too, is that, you know, there, there's less and less of a guide on the side for, for us, as all of us, as we just consume information, um, as, as you've mentioned, as citizens. And, and it's tricky to know even where to get a guide or, or how to be a guide, I guess, in your case. Yeah, and we might be able to be a guide, possibly some of us might be able to be a guide around digital literacy, but just to back that frame up even more, I'm not really even bought in to guide on the side just for general learning philosophy or teaching philosophy in general, because so much of how we need to be preparing ourselves and our learners is for, for things we couldn't guide because we don't know where we're going. Mm. Oh, that's really interesting. And, and could you say a little bit more about that? That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, we went from sage on the stage to guide on the side. Guide on the side assumes I know where we're going. And a lot of times in my teaching now, I'm experimenting with things and I don't know where we're going. I recently documented my experience writing my first open textbook. Hmm. And that was just just four months ago. And there was a lot I encountered. I had no idea how to handle it, what to do. I mean, there were, it was coming all the time. And so I have that. I'm not a guide. We're doing this together. I put on the backpack with them. I don't have a compass. Does anyone else have a compass with you? You know, I have some resources, but there certainly were going to be things I couldn't guide them through. And we had to navigate through together. I think one of the best signs that we're doing that kind of teaching and that kind of learning right is when students are more self-organized and we really are truly in a backseat role, but still contributing. I am a co-editor of that textbook, but there are other co-editors and there are authors and there, I mean, it, it was an, it was a, everyone picked up a shovel to get that thing to happen. And that's a pretty cool experience. And I felt like we were doing it right when I sort of, I don't want to say I disappeared, but when I was definitely just one member of the team. That's great. And what's next for the podcast or either topics you're kind of excited to move to or, or anything new for, for that you've been doing it for a while, but I'm sure it's evolving. Well, one exciting thing is the 200th episode. Sure. And on the 200th episode, I'll be welcoming back some former guests and they'll be talking about things that they've changed their mind about in teaching in recent years. Huh. And one of the things that was inspired by is another podcast that's called Very Bad Wizards. And their 75th episode is still very memorable to me. They went and spoke to all these very well-known philosophers and well-known psychologists and asked them, what have you changed your mind about in your own work in the last five years? And here are just these magnificent minds from the most prestigious schools that our nation has. And I'm thinking, there's something major, <laughs> huge, that these people have changed their mind about in the past five years. That's incredible to me. And I needed to hear those stories, I think perhaps to prepare me for the election that we just had, because I want to believe and I want to remember just how capable we all are and should continue to be of changing our minds about things. So I was excited about doing that around the topic of teaching. What do we change our minds about? So that's a conversation I'm looking forward to having. And I'm just, I'm excited about the opportunities I have to connect with, like you said, these tremendous educators, some of whom are really well-known and some of whom we've never heard of and they're just doing incredible work and really serving their students well. Well, thanks. We'll look forward to that episode and, and many more. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Oh, thanks so much.
This has been the Edsurge On Air podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't already, you can support the show by taking a minute to give us a rating or, or leave a review. This episode was produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education. Thanks for listening.